Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Welcome again to Verbal Diorama. My name's Em. Pleased to meet you again. If you listened previously, then you'll know my last episode was on Titan AE. If this is your first episode that you're listening to, hello, this is me, and this is a podcast uh, about movies. So I wanted to firstly just say a big thank you to everyone who's listened, followed, subscribed, and commented on the uh, Titan AE episode. The response was genuinely overwhelming and I know a couple of people actually commented to say they found the movie on a streaming service and they watched it purely based on my recommendation and genuinely that just makes me so happy that A, someone's listening and B, that someone out there actually watched that movie and enjoyed it because it genuinely does deserve all of the love. Um... So this is my second episode. Um, I'm fairly new at sort of the solo podcasting gig. So I am always open to suggestions. Um, I've actually been in cahoots with uh, quite a few other podcasters. Um, I talk to other podcasters quite a lot. And I just wanted to basically let everyone know that I have some guest slots booked on some upcoming shows um i'm gonna be on we haven't actually set a date for it but i'm planning to feature on an episode of wulong talks uh which is a couple of guys down in london jason and rich uh they have a great show they are so smart like these guys are just hot on everything um we haven't set a date yet but hoping to be on really soon to have a chat with them about something that is quite interesting and in addition I'm also booked on um, off-screen babble with Sade and Kyle we're actually going to be recording at the end of April and so hopefully I will be on their show sort of end of April beginning of May which is I'm so excited about that I can't tell you because I've been listening to those guys for such a long time and 
on this show, I actually had someone request to be a guest on here, which surprised and overwhelmed me because obviously at that point I've only had one episode out. But so I've been chatting to Chin Lin from Bingeables and she is going to come on here in June um, for another really, really interesting topic. So just some bits and pieces sort of going on with this show. Obviously, the movie that I've chosen for this episode, you know, because it's in the title, uh, is the movie Dread. Again, it's not my original choice. And I guess I just want to make it clear that I do have a plan (laughs) for this podcast. But my choices just sort of change. And I kind of I kind of ebb and flow a little bit with anything that's kind of going on and something might pop into my head. And I want to make this show relevant and the fluidity on the topics will probably help with that. And I probably will go back to my original second choice, sorry, my original first choice for this episode, I mean, um, in the near future. But Dread seems like a really good choice because I want to talk about the power of fandom. And Dread is a great example of the positive power of fandom. So let's talk about the history of Dread. Now, Judge Joseph Dread first appeared in the second issue of 2000 AD in 1977. Uh, he was created by John Wagner and Carlos Esquera, and he was based on Dirty Harry. Uh, the name Dread was an alternative spelling for a character comics editor Pat Mills had created called Judge Dredd, which was spelt D-R-E-A-D. This was a horror strip. The idea was branded and suitable, but Wagner took the name Dredd and adapted the spelling to D-R-E-D-D at the suggestion of sub-editor Kelvin Gosnell. The character was originally supposed to look like Frankenstein from Death Race 2000 with the black leather and the motorbike, And Carlos Escazera took the concept and added the body armour, zips and chains to create this more futuristic hardline approach to the character. Um, Something that a lot of people might not know about Judge Dredd is he's British. He's actually a British creation. 2000 AD is a British sci-fi comic anthology, which was first published in 1977. It also boasts characters such as Tharg the Mighty, Strontium Dog, and Rogue Trooper. And interestingly, Rogue Trooper was announced last year as the next movie by Duncan Jones, uh, who also directed Moon, which is fantastic, by the way, and Source Code, which is also fantastic. Um, Admittedly, I've not seen any of his newer stuff, like Warcraft or the one that he did for Netflix. I don't even know it off the top of my head. Yeah, planning. Um, But I've heard that they're not as great as Moon and Source Code, but Hopefully, Rogue Trooper will be just as good. Um, the series is set in fictional dystopia Mega City One, which covers most of the East Coast of America, and the majority of the population is unemployed due to mass automation by robots. This makes the general public prone to acts of criminal behaviour. Um, now, it's important to note that Dread's face is never shown in the comics, apparently to show that justice has no soul. Even in flashbacks, he had his face distorted or covered in some way. And this is important because we're going to get to Dredd's face later. Time passes in Dredd comics in real time. So the first Dredd story in 1977 was set in 2099. So stories published today are set in 2141. And every year that passes, Dredd gets another year older. This is unlike most comics where either time is irrelevant or fluid 
depending on the universe it's set in or whatever. This means that Judge Dredd himself is currently over 70 years of age with 60 years of active judge duty, which is incredible to think that if this man were real, he would be a pensioner at the moment. Um, the character even underwent rejuvenation treatment in 2016 to address concerns over the character's continued ageing. Um, and the creators have actually admitted that there is a plan for what they're going to do with Dread as he continues to get older. And in a strange link to episode one of the podcast, um, in Judge Dread, the comic book, there's a penal colony based on Saturn's moon, which is Titan. So there you go. There's a little link there. Um, so I want to briefly talk about the movie adaptations thus far. So I think everyone knows about the 1995 movie, the one with Sylvester Stallone, um, the one that's not very good. Um, it was negatively received on release and still to this day widely reviled by most, including me. It currently holds 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I know Rotten Tomatoes isn't the be all and end all of movies because everything is subjective. But yeah, 15% is not great. And obviously at the time, Stallone was one of the biggest action stars in Hollywood. Um, he apparently agreed to the role if he could have creative changes and if he could remove the dread helmet to show his face. Something that I've previously mentioned never happens in the original comic. Um, apparently the reason Arnold Schwarzenegger turned the role down was because of this fact and also if you're famous you want the world to see your face. The movie was originally NC-17 rated uh, which is the UK equivalent of 18 so when I talk about ratings I'm going to try and talk about both because obviously in the UK we have a different rating system to the US but I'm going to try and mention both just for the purposes of clarification. Um, the studio had to uh, resubmit the, uh, a recut to the MPAA five times to get it down to an R rating, which doesn't really have a UK equivalent, but it's usually a 15. Stallone then attempted to cut it further for a PG-13 rating, which here is a 12A. Um, needless to say, the movie didn't do great. It didn't do great business. And John Wagner later said, that the story had nothing to do with Judge Dredd and Judge Dredd wasn't really Judge Dredd even though Stallone was perfect for the part um, and that the film had told the wrong story because it tried to do too much. And so on that we move to the movie that I want to talk about which is Dredd from 2012. It's important to note that it's unrelated completely to Judge Dredd apart from being based on the same source material so there are no cameos there's no relevance to the previous. This is a completely standalone version of Judge Dredd, completely not related to the original at all. And it was directed by Pete Travis, who's also known for primarily the UK TV show Cold Feet, which is like a drama comedy um, that's been going on sort of since the 90s. It's recently been revived and the movies Vantage Point and Endgame, but not that Endgame. Um, and it was written and produced by Alex Garland, writer of The Beach and screenwriter of 28 Days Later, Sunshine and Never Let Me Go. And the director of two fantastic movies, Ex Machina and Annihilation. Interestingly, um, although Pete Travis has the director credit 
it was Alex Garland who did the majority of the editing work and not Pete Travis. He was actually removed from the editing process due to creative differences, in inverted commas, uh, between him and the producers and executives. So Alex Garland actually took over editing and the contribution was considered enough for a co-director credit. Um, and a statement was released by Travis and Garland agreeing on an unorthodox collaboration before production began, but that Garland was not seeking a co-director credit. So Alex Garland started writing the screenplay in 2006, but the new adaptation of Judge Dredd wasn't announced till 2008. Um, filming took place in practical sets in Cape Town and Johannesburg in 2010 using state-of-the-art 3D cameras. The movie was filmed entirely in 3D and 3D is something that I kind of find is often a bit gimmicky. A lot of films are sort of post-converted into 3D and don't actually look that great. To be honest, I've only seen this movie in 2D, but I really think it's one of those movies that would really benefit from a 3D screening. Um, it doesn't suffer on 2D viewings uh, because the 2D is great, but I expect the slow-mo shots look fab in 3D. So that's kind of a brief history about the making of Dread. And some of the feedback I had about the first episode was the plot synopsis was a little long and obviously spoilery. So I'm going to keep it brief and not go into too much detail because hopefully if you've seen Dread, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, then hopefully you'll be able to see it without that many spoilers. feel as if time is passing at 1% its normal speed. If we play this right, we can take the whole city. Peachtree's is the manufacturing base for all the slow-mo in Mega City One. You know how often we get a judge up in Peachtree's? Well, you got one now. She has control of everything. Levels one to 200. This is Mama. Somewhere in this block are two judges. That's not good. I want him dead. We're gonna have to go through him. Rookie, you ready? Yeah. You look ready. Fire! Judgment time. Let's finish this. Sentence is death. 
So the plot synopsis, the future America is an irradiated wasteland. On its east coast, running from Boston to Washington DC, lies Mega City One, a vast, violent metropolis where criminals rule the chaotic streets. The only force of order lies with the urban cops called judges, who possess the combined powers of judge, jury and instant executioner. Known and feared throughout the city, Dredd, played by Carl Urban, is the ultimate judge, challenged with ridding the city of its latest scourge, a dangerous drug epidemic that has users of slow-mo experiencing reality at a fraction of its normal speed. During a routine day on the job, Dredd is assigned to train and evaluate Cassandra Anderson, played by Olivia Thirlby, a rookie with powerful psychic abilities thanks to a genetic mutation. A heinous crime calls them to a neighbourhood where fellow judges rarely dare to venture, a 200-storey vertical slum controlled by prostitute-turned-drug lord Mama, played by Lena Headey, and her ruthless clan. And so that's the synopsis. I'm going to keep it really short. Um, it's a simple setup, and that really works for this movie. The budget was really low. It was only $50 million, so the single location works to keep that cost down. You never really see anything of Cursed Earth, which is basically the world, uh, which has been completely eradicated by some nuclear war or something, other than a massive wall that separates Mega City 1 from the barren desert land in the opening shot. Um, Cursed Earth sounds like a pretty depressing place. You know, there's no countryside, no parks, no woodland, no farms. It makes you question where all the food for all of those millions of tummies comes from. Although the movie hints at recycling dead bodies and that, well, cannibalism is kind of the done thing. Now, I don't know if that's canon in the source material, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to come to that conclusion when you watch the movie. You don't see any of that. It's just kind of hinted at. Um, the cold open is fantastic and it takes a car chase and a hostage situation and it fully explains that this world is barbaric. And that the job of a judge is clinical and brutal. There's, it's a high-speed chase on busy city streets. And it's like another day in Mega City 1. People don't even bat an eyelid when uh, a van just hurtles past them in, on a busy street. And the consequence of the car chase, there's no emotional assistance for the hostages that are taken or sympathy for the victims that are murdered. The, the judge comes in, does a job, completes it, moves on. So it's very much like murders every day. It's an everyday thing in this world. It's just something that the residents have to live with. And it's also quite funny, I suppose, in a way. It, it, it's little things like the shopping centre will reopen 30 minutes after a grisly murder. And this um, cleaning machine just comes along to kind of clear all this blood away. And it's it's genuinely like this is an everyday occurrence. So it's it takes this very sort of visual representation of an everyday occurrence. And it it just makes it an everyday occurrence. It's it's interesting. The juxtaposition between the murky, sort of dirty world of peach trees, which is basically the 200 storey tower block that they end up in and Mega City One and the glorious sort of shining bright world of slow-mo are really the visual treat of this movie because the slow motion shots are just gorgeous and in many ways it makes you understand how and why a person could get addicted to this drug because 
when you're on slow-mo the world is is cleaner it's colorful it's sharper and it's so much more beautiful than the real world and colors pop from random artifacts like curtains and water shimmers like diamonds it's a really stark contrast between real life and slow-mo life and the movie really benefits from it I mentioned in my previous episode about the blood and violence in Titan AE being so out of character with animation at the time. We're kind of going to the extreme on this, but I might as well make this very clear. This is not a PG-13 dread. I previously mentioned UK ratings, and this is a pure 100% 18 rating. So there is so much blood and so much gore. Um, It's to the extreme. It really is. But it's it's like this glorious ballad of bloodshed and slow motion bullet wounds and blood splatter and skull crushes and slow motion bodies falling from the sky and hitting the ground. It's as if it's like some sort of blood soaked ballet. And that makes it really interesting because it's it's a movie that's not afraid to take these risks. It's not afraid to be sometimes gratuitously violent to prove its point. And it really proves its point. The movie does a great job of encapsulating the claustrophobia of living in peach trees, as well as the desperation of its inhabitants. Um, Those who Mama has working for her, making and distributing the drugs and keeping her control over a tower block. And those who simply just live in a tower and want a decent life for themselves and their families. Most of these people are living under a truly brutal regime and they're bringing up their children in it. Most of the people who go up against the judges are adults, but some are just children. And it really summarises gang culture and how kids can easily become indoctrinated into gangs if that's all they know. And if the consequences of not joining in with the culture, when everyone you know knows you're not with Mama, you're against her. Mama will come for you if you don't conform to her. She will not only come for you, she'll come for your parents, your siblings, your children. It's really scary and it works on this sort of social commentary level that you rarely see in comic book movies. It just feels like really realistic um, that this must be how it feels for people who live in a situation that they can't get out of. They have no choice. They've got to do it. Um, And it must be really difficult to get out of that. Obviously, this is a fictional world, but I think it speaks a lot about, you know, current gang violence and gang culture and how scary it must be for some of these kids who genuinely don't know what to do to get out of it. So anyway, back to the movie. The score almost feels like a video game. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean that positively because... The action scenes are so effectively scored with these rousing beats and it's kind of the sort you'd expect on a boss level or something. It works to take you to that grim place, but it's never depressing. It's always kind of fun to listen to. Control, we have a situation developing in peach trees. Do you copy? Control, do you copy? My comms are down too. Shielding must be blocking our transmissions. We'll head for the med center. Call it. 
Sir? You're on assessment, rookie. Call it. Multiple armed targets, obstructed line of sight. Gas grenades? Respirators. Advise you hold your breath. about the cast um obviously the three main uh there's there's actually not many people with regards to cast the the three main cast members um so you've got carl urban who at that point was mostly well known for his role in lord of the rings and star trek um he confirmed his casting in this movie in 2010 you've got olivia thurlby who at that point was known for her supporting roles in Juno and No Strings Attached. And Lena Headey, obviously most well known as Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones, but also starred in the movie 300. And up until that point, she was in the Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles as Sarah Connor. So Carl Urban, let's talk about Carl Urban, because Carl Urban is probably not the first choice, oh hello squeaky chair, probably not the first choice I guess for many people for playing this character because he's quite a good looking guy and you would think being quite a good looking guy you probably wouldn't want your head behind a helmet sort of pretty much the whole movie. However, Carl Urban plays Dredd with this fear-mongering sense of authority and confidence and the way he successfully manages to show Plenty of emotion just using his chin and jawline is quite astonishing. And when I say emotion, obviously he's a judge, so he doesn't really show emotion. But he he does have this ability of acting with his jaw. Um, you'll probably understand more if you actually see the movie. But his voice, obviously a lot of it comes from his voice, which is really gruff and biting with this life of hardship and experience he lives in this city he knows this city he knows how grim this city is he's ruthless and professional and he can easily outsmart any criminal in fact the only time he is injured is against another judge um someone who would know his moves now his story arc is essentially at the start of the movie he's judge dread and at the end of the movie he's judge dread but his lack of any character development actually helps because this is I keep saying brutal it is brutal it's a brutal piece of work and Dredd himself needs to be steadfast and confident he is the law he can't be emotional okay I take that back there is some development there small bit of development because he questions the system at the end because of Anderson and the fact that although she fails the assessment he knows she'd be a great judge and start of the movie Dread would never have done that. So it's fairly marginal as character arcs go, but essentially he's the sort of steadfast centre of the movie. It's his movie, it's about him. 
Just to add as well, the fact that Carl Urban never shows his face is never an issue because he's so committed to the role, both on and off screen, that you have no doubt who's under the helmet. And he is a consummate professional. And honestly, Carl Urban is absolutely fantastic in this role. It's almost like the role was made for him. And it's, in a way, the most disappointing thing about the movie is the fact that we probably won't see Carl Urban do this again. Um, he's really great. Inhabitants of Pinch Trees. This is Judge Dredd. In case you people have forgotten, does it lock up the rest of the city rules as the rest of the city? Mama is not the law. I am the law. Mama is a common criminal. Guilty of murder. Guilty of the manufacture and distribution of the narcotic known as And as of now, under sentence of death, struck me in carrying out my duty will be treated as an accessory to our crimes. You have been warned. And as for you, Mama, judgment time. Moving on to Olivia Thirlby, she portrays this naive innocence in her performance as rookie judge Cassandra Anderson who's blessed slash cursed with psychic powers from a genetic mutation, which is understandable after a worldwide nuclear event that maybe some babies will be born with mutations. She might be naive, but she grew up in an estate like peach trees, and she's determined to make life better for the inhabitants. She believes genuinely in making a difference. To her, it's personal, but to dread, it's just another day at the office. Her abilities give her this unique ability to know the truth of a situation so she can dispense justice off the truth rather than an inclination. She also shows compassion when necessary. She's a powerful and compelling character and her confidence grows throughout the movie and it's really important to note as well that really the movie is about her. It's although Dread is the title character the true growth comes from Anderson and about where she starts and where she ends up because at the end of the movie she knows that she's failed and she tells Dredd that she's failed but she'd still make in many ways a better judge than he would um, and it's important to recognise that. Um, speaking of their relationship it's always professional, uh, it's always a mentor and a student, there's never any inkling of romance which a lesser movie would do, a lesser movie would set them up at the end. This movie doesn't need to do that. Even when she's captured, Dredd remains steadfast in his mission to reach Mama and end the conflict. She's not fridged to further Dredd's mission. Anderson actually ends up saving her himself with her own intelligence by getting into the mind of one of the bad guys. And it might just be me reading into the subtext, but I actually sense Dredd's pride with Anderson at the end of the movie. I think he knows this rookie has what it takes. I take it this is your first time in non-sim combat? Yes, sir. I'm wondering when you'd remember you left your helmet behind. Sir, a helmet can interfere with my psychic abilities. I think a bullet might interfere with them more.
ready. Just adrenaline, sir. Lena Headey, as ex-prostitute Mama, is a force to be reckoned with. So this was filmed in between her commitment to Game of Thrones, and her tale is somewhat one of empowerment, uh, a woman succeeding in a man's world, somewhat similar to Cersei Lannister, but without the same depth and history of story. A world of sex, drugs, gangs, violence and power. The movie makes it clear she started with nothing. She was a prostitute, she feminised her pimp during oral sex, to which all the guys wince and cover their bits. She took over his business after he bled to death, founded her own gang, and then started to take over all of the gangs in peach trees, top to bottom. This is very much a woman who's the hero of her own story, but a villain you can actually empathise with and understand their motives in a small way. And understanding their motives in a small way makes a great and interesting villain. Usually, this is the sort of role that would be played by a man, but to have her a woman doesn't make her any less intimidating and threatening. Lena Headey is great in this. And to be clear, none of the above actually excuses Mama's choices. She's evil, she's the bad guy, she's responsible for her own actions, but she's also somewhat of a victim. And I do love the movie makes her so morally ambiguous, to the point that her death is possibly a release from all of the pain of living in this world. This is Mama. Somewhere in this block are two judges. I want him dead. Until I get what I want, the block is locked down. All clan, every level. Hunt the judges down. Everyone else clear the corridors and stay the fuck out of our way until the shooting stops. If I hear of anyone helping the judges, I will kill them and the next generation of their family. As for the judges, you got a moment. Sit tight or run. Makes no difference in mine. So, what's interesting about Dread, the movie? Well. In a world where movie failures are ten a penny to those who succeed, when movies fail, follow-ups are usually, shall we say, diluted in some way. Remakes usually disappoint because risks aren't taken. Risks that might keep it in line with the original movie or source material. Um, I recently sat down to watch the Robocop remake, which, in my opinion, is a great example of taking a brilliant original taking out all of the social satire and the heart of Alex Murphy and his story and replacing it with a really bland lead actor and a lot of CGI. Now, I didn't finish the movie because I thought it was really boring and I don't want to talk about it any further, but to me that's a really great example of a remake just not being as good. The commercial failure of Dread could be attributed to the ATM rating, however, in recent years, movies like Deadpool and Logan, whilst not as graphically violent, um, have proven that comic book movies can be successful whilst not being PG rated. It probably didn't help it came out in 2012, the same year as The Avengers, a movie that I absolutely love with all of my heart, but the complete opposite of this in the comic book world in every possible way. I mean, this movie was bright, funny, witty, and to be honest, all of that also applies to Dread, I guess, in some way, but 
I don't think Marvel Studios and by extension Disney know what the colour of blood is. Um, they would never go there. And the fact that a lot of people also associate this movie to the Stallone movie probably doesn't help either. Um, so comparatively, and this is disappointingly why we can't have nice things, Dread grossed $35 million worldwide in 2012 against a $50 million budget. So it flopped. So against Stallone's Judge Dread, which grossed $34 million in the US alone. So I'm going to repeat that. So Dread grossed $35 million worldwide. Judge Dread, $34 million in the US alone. Yeah, disappointing. Worldwide, Judge Dread did $113 million against a 90 million budget. So still not great, but better than Dread. Now, maybe the taste in audiences' mouths after Judge Dread was just too bitter. Who knows? It's so disappointing that the better movie by far that took the most risks and was more faithful to its source material bombed more than the crappy movie everyone remembers. And seriously, if you can make a movie look and feel this good on $50 million, you've got to kind of ask the question, what did they spend the other $40 million on in 1995? Hmm. Well, I guess we all probably know the answer to that one. So where's the justice here? What would a Mega City One judge say? When one movie flops, it could be an anomaly. But when two flop, anyone else would think, well, it's obviously two Duff movies. But it's not two Duff movies. It's one Duff movie and a great movie. My point is that by all accounts, this movie shouldn't exist. It's a remake, but it's actually good. It's clearly been created by a team of people who are passionate about the character and telling his story. It's gory and bloody and honestly, really bloody marvellous to watch. It's a miracle this movie's around and it's adored by so many people, genuinely. And although the box office was low, these people, the fans, love this movie, which is what's so interesting about it. Because fans were so impressed and so desperate for more adventures that when the movie didn't do so well at the box office, a campaign was started called Bring Back Dread. This campaign attracted over 130,000 names to its petition, urging film companies to make another Dread movie, specifically starring Carl Urban. And with the help of social media, a campaign called Day of Dread urged fans to buy the DVD or Blu-ray in 2013, or if they already had it, to buy a copy for a friend. And the movie ended up topping the Amazon DVD sales charts just through the power of fans. So the movie went to the top of the Amazon DVD sales charts just by the power of fans. It's incredible. They tried it again in 2014, but unfortunately it failed to make such an impact, presumably because the vast majority of people had bought it the year before. There was also an unofficial web series called Cursed Edge that was released in 2014. However, unfortunately, it seems like all trace of this has been removed from the internet. I did a quick Google, I couldn't find, all of the links that I found were just completely dead. And apparently it was quite ambitious for a fan-funded project. So where are we now? Although a second movie never materialised, there is a TV series uh, called Judge Dread Mega City One. It has an IMDb page and a release date of 2019, hmm, which is this year, obviously. And Carl Urban has expressed an interest in starring. After all this time, it seems that no one loves Dread more than Carl Urban, who's voiced a passionate interest in both the campaigns and any future Dread project. And it would be fantastic to see him return to both the Dread role and the small screen. 
did anyone else see Almost Human? He was great in that. And I was so gutted they cancelled that show after one season. The mere fact that fandom has potentially created a TV show is incredible. This is the positive power of fandom. And whilst it's a shame the power of fandom couldn't resurrect Judge Dredd in another movie, with studios more and more hesitant to create anything that's R-rated and above, it seems like the only dread we might see in future will be nothing like this dread. And that's why 2012's dread is so special and so worth your time. Please, don't spend 90 minutes on the Robocop reboot. Spend it on dread. Thanks for listening to my episode about dread. To be honest, I haven't checked if it's streaming on anything, but if you really want to watch Dread, go out and buy it. Because you never know, they might do a bit more on this upcoming TV show if they know that the movie is actually interesting people. But obviously, if you want to talk more about Dread and about how brilliant it is, or you want to talk about anything, you can follow me and you can comment and you can subscribe. You can follow me at at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, or you can email me at verbaldiorama at gmail.com. And thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye.